you know that music. Come join in and listen to the only Blade Runner podcast in existence. From in-depth discussions about characters to interviews with actors and filmmakers involved in the process, Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, covers a multitude of topics spanning both Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs, The Dark Crystal Discussions. The story runs deeper than you know, and you are part of it. And what are those funny marks? This is all writing. What's writing? The words that stay. When single shines the triple sun, of your sundered sundered and undone, undone, shall behold, behold the two made one. And here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to The Gathering Songs. This is your Dark Crystal podcast um, that we chat about all things Dark Crystal from books, uh, comics, and much, much more. Um, I'm your host, Philip Mitchell. I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in uh, to the show as we continue discussing Song of the Dark Crystal, which is the second book in J.M. Lee's uh, young adult novel series of Dark Crystal stories, books that take place before the events of, well, it was before the events of the Dark Crystal, but now it's been turned into um, sort of almost like a prequel to um, uh, to the upcoming Netflix series, The Age of Resistance. So, of course, we'll always be very curious to see how the connections tie in to Age of Resistance when that comes out uh, sometime in 2019. So, on this episode, we're going to continue discussing that book from chapter 20 onwards. And to help me break it down, um, I've got uh, two guests uh, for, for this episode. Uh, so, we've got uh, Dom Nardi uh, from Nardi Views. So, Dom, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Oh, great to be here again. Thanks. And of course, um, we, we've got uh, Nancy Gray. Nancy, just want to say uh, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Uh, thank you for having me back. It's a lot of fun. And and of course, I mean, I'll, I might as well mention just before we get into the show, um, I know uh, previously we had uh, Peter M and Fish on the show. Um, however, the, the schedules didn't work out um, as it can be a challenge, you know, with uh, ranging, you know, schedules with all different time zones. So, but I just want to say, you know, to them, just, you know, on, on here, just for, to thank them again for, you know, being a part of the gathering songs and, um, yeah, certainly hope to have them back again to chat more dark crystal, uh, down the track as there's going to be so much more happening. So, which is all very exciting. So first of all, um, before we get dive deep into, um, chapter 20 of song of the dark crystal, uh, I know Nancy. I, I know you weren't in the the, the previous roundtable discussion of the Gathering Songs, and which we sort of delved into them sort of going into uh, the Grotten Caves, the sort of the in and out journey of what happened there um, with them trying to find the fur car, but then got destroyed, and then they're all bit annoyed and sort of you know they they left off. And I was actually wanting to know uh, just sort of your thoughts on that journey, and and we'll we'll get into this um, other reference. I think. Um, that I mean, might as well mention um, that there was a reference, uh, I think, in chapter 18, where it mentioned uh, something uh, based on uh, one of your uh, works when you um, entered for the the Dark Crystal author quest. Um, I think it was uh, to do with the the siphon charms of Zael. So I'd love to sort of hear your thoughts about, um, you know, when you first heard that uh, this reference of yours from your entry in the Dark Crystal author quest got into J.M. Lee's Song of the Dark Crystal. 
That was really cool to read that, honestly. It was very nice of him to put a mention to my story in there. He said he really liked swashbuckling-style stories, and he wanted to put kind of a shout-out to Zale in there. And um, Zale was basically training to be uh, the new charm crafter for his village, which was traditionally a woman's role. But... um, he managed to basically get the madra of his village to to show him how to do it. He still ended up failing because of um, a lack of responsibility of his own, which was kind of going to come up later. But, you know, I, I'm so glad that Joey won, and I still think it's great. But I just, um, there, there were things that were going to come up about that later, and he was nice enough to include charms by Zale in the um, description. So it's almost like he got to succeed and create some of the charms on his own. He had one that had been passed down to him by his father, but it was cracking. So more than likely, those were actually charms that were crafted by Zale, which I thought was a nice shout out to him and maybe showed that maybe he didn't get captured. Maybe he actually got to fulfill his dream in some way. Um, I loved oh that, that whole thing about the Groton clan. Because if I had not chosen Sifa for my story, Groton was my second choice. I had even crafted a character based on the Groton clan. I just chose Sifa because I liked the same thing, the swashbuckling a- aspect and um, the seafaring kind of uh, people. But I really enjoyed um, that whole that whole thing about the Groton clan because I thought the way he did it, especially the tapping on the walls and things like that, was very, very clever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah they're a very um interesting clan. That's of course new to the Dark Crystal, and I, I guess you know I found it really interesting with them is because they're a very small clan, and also as you know as we found out that um they were once they were once one big clan with uh, with the Vapra, but then they just sort of decided to sort of split up from you know Vapra that focuses on the future and Groton focuses on the past slash shadows. So I thought that was kind of an interesting, which I mean, I, I would be very interested if they ever do sort of future stories um, sort of on, on that kind of history between those two clans. I think, yeah, I'd be very curious to see, yeah, like to know wh- what happened and and all that kind of stuff. So no, no, that was really cool um, that, yeah, you got a reference to, yeah, with this, the Siphon Charms of Zale. And I guess for any of the listeners, um, you can actually um, check out uh, your entry um, in, um, I think it was called the Dark Crystal Author Quest ebook. So I know it's available, it's only available digitally. So if you just look on, you know, if you got an iOS device, uh, I think it'd be in the iBooks or um, uh, Android. I mean, you got a- Amazon and I think there's other, uh, those, those places that you can um, uh, purchase these entries that were sort of uh, the finalist for the Dark Crystal Author Quest. It only costs a couple of bucks. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely worth checking out, um, even just to read some of the other stories um, that contain within within that book. So, yeah, no, which is very, very cool. All the stories in that book were good. And, and I mean, that, that might be something I might actually um, uh, look into, you know, as a future sort of um, gathering, uh, gathering discussion, um, a chat about sort of each of the entries and stuff. Um, I think that could be... Good, yeah, just good discussions as we, you know, continue to anticipate the age of resistance. So, yeah, so, yeah, lots of great ca- content to come, that's for sure, yeah. Awesome. So you're an official part of Dark Crystal Canon now. I suppose that, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sweet. 
<laughs> Totes, yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so I guess you know we'll we'll, we'll get back into with Song of the Dark Crystal, and we are up to chapter twenty. So in this chapter, obviously, you know they tried to previously they tried to find the fur car, and they kind of did, but unfortunately it was destroyed. So of course, you know that they, they go outside, and and at this point, um, they're just setting up camp for the night. Sort of Tavra, sort of a bit, you know, leading in charge. You know, just she just really wants to get to Harar and uh, straight away. Uh, but of course, this is in this moment where I think Tavra sort of wanders off, and Kylan tries to find her, and he sort of, you know, discovers her um, uh, hearing, or, you know, Kylan hearing conversation with some character, um, uh, which I mean, I think we do actually find out in that chapter that it was. Um, Skeksis um, of course we'll get into who, who it is later on so that was sort of you know a bit of I guess a bit of a twist that you know that she was basically yeah be- betrayed them essentially and and this was something that I think I think in the early discussions you know I saw I sort of thought something was a bit off with Tavra um, especially I think I remember I think when we chatted about getting her point of view story um, you know of how she got out of the castle of the crystal and it was you know it was very short and we didn't get much of it so that was sort of kind, sort of you know, I had an inkling about when I was reading it for the first time that something was a bit off with Tavra, and yeah, I mean, and and that you know she's actually alive by you know using a different um, needs a new body to continue living. So a bit of a Frankenstein, yeah. Yeah, that was a little creepy because it almost was like an invader, invaders of the body snatcher sort of thing, where it's like, and. One of the things that I was thinking about that is that's very dark, which I kind of liked about these books. Honestly, there was they took didn't shy away from the dark aspect because that's why she could stay up all night and why she was you know able to be very strong and do all these things. That basically the spider was controlling her and she couldn't feel any pain and her body was slowly dying because. She probably had all these strained muscles and who knows, even broken bones or something. And the spider could just keep pushing her because it didn't feel the pain and it just wanted to go to its uh, destination. So even she was already weak when she left the castle, probably. So it was one of those things where it was just like it was just pushing her until the body itself was just practically falling apart. So it's a very dark thing, but I like that because the Dark Crystal, if you think on it a long time and think about, pick apart the aspects of it, was one of the darker Jim Henson films. So I thought that this was well done in that respect. Yeah, sort of, you know, continuing, yeah, sort of the dark aspect, um, you know, of the, of the franchise, which, I mean, it's always been dark. So, you know, having something like this is, you know, it, it's, it, it, it is cool. It is cool. We've talked a bit about this, that the balance, and I like. I think, um, yeah, I think Jim Lee overall just does the balance well. Where it's dark, it's not gore. Like this isn't something I would be afraid to to give a younger kid. You know, it's also not like you know cartoony or you know too. You know, it's and it and and, and this might be getting a bit of a head, but it's it's also not just a trite happy ending where everything is undone. There are consequences which I appreciate as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, of course, like, I mean, with the Dark Crystal, it was always sort of based on sort of that sort of that Grimm's tale sort of feeling. 
you know, with stories about, you know, from the Grimm's Tale, um, that sort of thing. So nothing, you know, like violent or, yeah, like the gore sort of aspect, you know, it's just, you know, very scary, you know, in, in different ways. So no, which, which is, yeah, um, which I really enjoy. And so of course, you know, when, when he sort of found out about, um, what, what's been happening with Tavra, uh, having the conversation with the Skeksis, he, um, does see Tavra and he tells him where, you know, that Amri and they are back at the campsite. And, and then I think that's when he's sort of, you know, trying to think of a plan and then was sort of reminded about, um, the message that, that was early on about the do not trust her. Um, when they were climbing up um, to, to see Orgra, um, that Kylan saw that message, do not trust her, which, you know, back then could have meant Orgra, could have meant someone else, but he's like, maybe could could mean her, could have meant um, Tyler, uh, which is which is kind of a cool, you know, sort of callback to, to that chapter. Yeah, and if I, as I said before, when we were discussing that message initially, I, I think Jam Lee does a good job too of, not being too obvious about it, but also not, you know, th- th- this is a twist, but it doesn't come out of nowhere. Like, he doesn't, you know, he, there's no there's no scene before this with Tavra, where we see Tavra talking to the Skeksis and the Gelflings don't. Like, we find out at the same time the Gelflings do, but, you know, it's also, like, there are clues that are planted. Yeah. I really like the way it kind of all feels like it's falling into place yeah. where it's like he realizes that message do not trust her is referring to her and things of that nature or suspects it. It's like all these little things that felt like they were kind of um, disconnected from the story. And you're like, I wonder who wrote that. Cause I remember we thought that maybe Ron wrote it when we first saw it. But, you know, all this stuff is kind of falling into place. And I love, we haven't gotten there yet, but I love the way it kind of all ties together in the end. I think it did a really good job of that and a lot of good foreshadowing throughout the whole uh, book. And I think, you know, as we get into, I think with chapter 21, uh, Carling, he, he, he gives a note to Tavra um, about Ryan. Uh, and, he, and he said that they need to camp overnight for him, for uh, Ryan to come to, to meet up with with them at the campsite and she's like fine and you know and of course you know this is something that you know Colin you know wrote the note himself to sort of set up what will be the trap essentially you know to persuade Tavra to sort of stay for the night uh, rather than keep moving on he sort of continues with that plan when he goes to Naya and says that he's going to meet with Ryan and say you know to go to Harar without without them which, of course, you know, this is the other part where he sort of set it on purpose for Tavra to overhear. Then, you know, when when he left, uh, I think uh, Tavra uh, followed him. And, um, yeah, she ended up, get, you know, being caught uh, with being caught in a trap with the with the finger vines um, that was all sort of set up. So, um, you yeah, know, I think, you know, Carlin, you know, did a good thing at this uh, point in time, just um, trying to, you know, set, set up a trap or a way to get T- Tavra captured so they can finally uh, talk to Tavra or, you know, who, who you know, who, um, as they say, sort of later on in that chapter of, you know, they want to know who she is and, and what's happened to the real uh, Tavra. I like the way that uh, they catch her because um, I like how uh, subtle it is kind of, you know, because 
he's noticed that it seems like throughout this entire journey when there's words and things of that nature that um that basically she hasn't been reading them and he knows that she can read because she's the Almadra's daughter and it, it does make me curious about what he actually had on the paper because um when Amory looks up he basically is like this is a <laughs> yeah this this note it says and you know he, he cuts him off before he can really say anything but it was a way for him to kind of test her because she she didn't even look at it. She's crumpled it up and said, "Oh yeah, the note is authentic." And it's like her disguise is kind of starting to unravel too. I like the way he kind of very subtly talks about um, the uh, blue mouth, the tree, and how it had entrapped them with the fruit. And he's telling them exactly what he wants them to do without actually you know, telling her, which I thought was very cool and very subtle and, you know, it pretty much works. So I thought it was a good analogy about them being like the, uh, him being like the dangling fruit that's out there that she wants to go and, um, kill. And the, uh, and, um, Naya knows what that means. And she's like, okay, <laughs> let's see what she does type thing. And sure enough, she goes after him, and they manage to trap her. Very cool trap. Yeah, totally, yeah. And, I, of course, the, the blue mouth, I think, because that was the one thing I was trying to work out what the blue mouth was, but it was something, it was, like, one of the creatures that um, Tavra, I think, attacked attacked it because, you know, um, I think when um, they all sort of reunite um, for the first time, um, there was, like, one of the creatures that, um, she attacked, you know, to sort of save Naya and Kylan and and all that. Is that is that is that the case or? I I think so. I mean, yeah, it's not. It sounded like to me that's what it was um, based on, because she also Naya says something along the lines of, "We make good fruit, don't we?" You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Because yeah. it was that sweet nectar of the fruit that lured them in, and then Tavra saved them, and now they're actually capturing Tavra, kind of using the same tactic. Yeah, and I mean, of course, you know, as you know, as they sort of find out what's happened to the real Tavra, that we sort of got a bit bit of reveal in chapter twenty two that we find out that there was actually it was a spider um, that was uh, controlling Tavra. I think I think in my notes I was looking what I wrote, I, I wrote the spider Crychick was controlling zombie Tavra and reveals all. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have no idea how to pronounce that. It's a, is it Crychick or Crychick? Uh, oh, uh, yeah. I, I, see, yeah. Cause I, I don't know. I was, I was thinking cry just because I know like the K is a C cry check check, but yeah, it is a, yeah, it's a tricky one. Cause, yeah. I, cause I know I chatted to, I know I chatted to JM Lee um to chat about this book and i think we did chat about what it was pronounced and i know it's been a while since i've you know re-listened to that episode um so i'd be curious to i probably need to i'll definitely listen to that show again i thought it was supposed to be yeah and i i i thought it was supposed to be like an onomatopoeia sound where it's supposed to be like a critch like a have a very hard almost like a like a spidery Spider walking sound, a crick. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I get you, yeah, yeah. I could be off. I totally possible. I'm wrong though. So 
I kind of like that idea, though. That that did sound almost like a spidery kind of sound. I I didn't even sound bad, but I mean, I read it, but it's like every time I read it, there was a different pronunciation in my head. I never really settled on one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I have in my notes it referred to as the spider. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I need to do a little better, but I just... I didn't want to butcher it at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, I'll probably just refer to it as the spider, just to, just in case if I, you know, keep getting these pronunciations wrong. I mean, and that's the other thing. I, I just, I, I'm always wanting it, you know, wanting an audio book version of J.M. Lee's, you know, with shadows and song, just to sort of know these pronunciations. And yeah, so we find out it was the spider that was controlling Tavra. Um, I think that was sort of a really, um, a really good twist, you know. One of the things that struck me as really cool about that was um, when I first, I suspected there was something off with Tavra throughout the book. And I thought originally the earring was a piece of corrupted crystal. And maybe throughout the book, it was kind of warping Tavra, making her change, kind of like the other creatures. Or that maybe the Skeksis were talking through it. But... I thought it was really cool that it was actually a spider and it wasn't even a corrupted spider. It's just the coloration kind of leads you in that direction. I just thought that was so cool because I was like, I I thought, because it was one of those things that throughout the books you start associating the color, you know, purple with, or pinkish purple with like corrupted crystal. And I thought that was odd. That was the color that her earring was set off against her skin. And I feel like there's almost kind of this, not necessarily love triangle, but definitely this infatuation with Kylan and um, Tavra. And he notices this earring. And I knew the earring had to be significant since he noticed it. And I was like, is that like a piece of the crystal formed into like a teardrop shape? But it turned out it actually was a spider. I was like, yeah. wow. <laughs> kind of blew me away. Yeah. Again, you know, sort of always having, you know, a bit of hints here and there and but yeah, it was just it was yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a surprise, um, with that. And of course, I mean, you know, as we sort of discover that uh, you know, the Tavra well, it was sort of Tavra that did write the do not trust her message from the early chapters of, of Song of the Dark Crystal as as well as, you know, she was sort of uh, you know, tr- stabbing herself, you know, with the, uh, I think it was some, I think it was a knife, I think, um, when she was inside the Grotten Caves trying to kill uh, the spider inside her to save herself. So it was sort of, you know, Tavra was trying to do her best to sort of remove herself from the spider, but it had to get to a point where um, I think, you know, with, with Kylan, I think when he um, uses dream stitching, because um, I think what happened, I think the spider got out of Tavra, it was just going over people and I think Kylan ends up using um, dream stitching uh, the Velila on, on the spider and sort of, sort of the connection between the spider and Tavra. At, at first, when I, I think when I was reading, I was sort of a bit confused about how this whole dream stitching thing works. And I think when I talked to uh, Joe about it, um, Jamie Lee about it, uh, I think he said it was something that they might go into, I think, in in books i think in the in the next book of how that you know how it all happened but basically yeah i mean he was able uh kylan sort of able to dream stitch uh the spider and the tavra together and 
in a way, sort of stitched the dream of Tavra's mind to the spider's body. So that was sort of a, you know, uh, another sort of interesting sort of, you know, magic ability um, that Kylan has to, um, you know, to do this dream stitching. And I think it was something that he, he's never done anything like this before or, yeah, he kind of didn't know how, how he actually, <laughs> um, how he actually did it. So, um, again, that was sort of really, really interesting when, when we discover that um, Tavra is now inside the, the spider creature now. I really liked that because um, I liked her whole eel feathers. You've really done it this time because that sounded like the old Tavra. Because this whole time she's gotten more and more sinisters. And once she's in the spider and she kind of curses, apparently that's a curse like damn or something. Yeah. <laughs> You've really done it this time. I was like, yeah, there's the old Tavra I love and I hate. <laughs> I really, she endeared herself to me in this book though later. It was one of those things that was like, the fact that she was able to adapt and still, in the spider's body, still kind of act like her old self so quickly, it, it's kind of really representative to me of how strong she actually is. Because this whole time, she's been trying, despite the fact, like I said earlier, that this thing has been expending all of her energy, she's still been trying to fight it and still trying to warn them. And I think she would have been willing to even lay down her life just to make sure that they got their message out. So she actually kind of in this book, to me, seems almost like a more endearing character. Because now she's not trying to push them away because now there really is nothing she can do without them. You know, and it kind of paints a more picture of her doing her best despite these horrible, horrible circumstances. Um, one, one other thing, this isn't quite related, but, um, this is the beginning of the war and it's kind of like the Groton are going to be the first that they nearly exterminate because of the fact this is an intelligent spider and the, the, you know, Skeksis have made them a deal to give them back Domrak. I feel like it's like, um, it's foreshadowing for the Gotham later, which I thought was also interesting because they're actually serving the Skeksis willingly. The Skeksis, though, from the way that they talk to the spider, it's like they don't even like the fact that they're willing servants. They want a servant that's just going to obey them and do things right the first time without, you know, even thinking on its own. You kind of get that feel with Skekli and talking to her and um, the way she's very subservient and trying to appease him. It's like nothing she does is right. The spider that is. So I thought that was interesting too. Yeah. I, and I was just thinking about like with the Groton clans, how they would be the first ones to, that the Skeksis would probably want to get rid of. Um, it kind of makes like the, the reason I would think, you know, they would be the first ones to go that they would want them to go first is because they focus on the past so it's like you know they might actually you know had had something that they didn't know sort of evidence from the past that it's just like we need to get rid of rid of them because they're part of you know because they focus on the past you know to to cover their tracks that's a good that's a good um good observation because i had trouble figuring out i was like how would they exterminate the Groton first when no one even knows if they exist or not, but you're right, because they've got 
they focus on the past. They keep past records of how, you know, the great things the Gelfling have done. And they also have that entire, you know, hallway full of relics that are powerful relics that they probably wouldn't want the other Gelfling to get their hands on. That might have even been one of their strategies was just to get rid of that whole hall of relics and anyone who had knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. Thanks. That, yeah. that clears that up a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's awesome. I was just gonna. I'm gonna reiterate my point before about um about the fact that there really are consequences for Tabra that she doesn't get out clean from all this, which which I appreciate it because one of the challenges, and I I'm, I know we've talked about this before, but I think that there's it's worth repeating. One of the challenges with these books is that we know the ending. And the ending is not very pretty for the Gelflings. So, like, I think tone is going to be really important in this book and in the future books. Like, it has to be dark enough. It has The characters can't win all the time. Because we know they ultimately lose. So, if they win too often, their victories are going to, see, are going to seem a bit hollow. And, you know, so doing something like this, where you're putting Tavra into a spider's body... It's kind of a it's a it's a compromise where it, the characters kind of get their victory because Tavra is not dead, but it's not a cost free victory and Tavra is never going to be the same again. Yeah, yeah, I can I could probably say, yeah say that like yeah with future stories where yeah like most of the scenarios will end up being compromises or Skeksis winning or you know the Galflings winning on the very rare occasion. Kylan um, kind of hints on that too. I I don't remember the exact chapter where he's thinking to himself about how like he's got this just almost unrealistic optimism and it just keeps getting crushed at every turn. And when he talks to Tavra, Tavra's just based in reality. I think it's when they're going through the cave and basically she's saying, you know, the they're going this is a war there are going to be lives lost um there are you know we may not make it in time to save many of the Groton, and there's this is just the start of it you know and he has to kind of ground his hopeful optimism in reality and it's kind of a bittersweet thing because even though they're doing something that might save a lot of lives they can't save everyone at this point and it, I think it's a lot of foreshadowing probably to the later books where, like you said, it's going to be more of a compromise. It's going to be like, well, we won this, you know, battle or we won, you know, this this battle, but there's so many yet to come that, you know, it's hard to keep your hopes up, which it kind of feels like in this story, there's a lot of that because it's not in the first story there's the journey and they you know kind of found what they needed to find and now they're trying to spread the word and it's like it went from optimistic to now oh there are definitely consequences and those consequences mean that people well gelfling are not going to you know make it so i like that about this too it's kind of getting it it feels like it's got kind of this ominous ring to it, which might, I think the third book will probably be the darkest of them all. Yeah. I think as we sort of get forward into with the story that, yeah, it's just going to get, you know, a little bit worse each time. And then sort of, you know, who knows what's going to happen in age of resistance. So 
Um, and of course, I think, you know, with Tides of the Dark Crystal, that's going to come out Christmas 2018 or Christmas Eve. So, which is sort of a very nice sort of uh, Christmas present to get. <laughs> I guess we're all Dark Crystal fans. So they'll be on their sort of wish list. So, yeah, no, which is really cool. And so I guess, you know, with uh, Song of the Dark Crystal, um, so as we find out that Tavra's in Chapter 23, um, Tavra's inside the spider creature and the spider creature, uh, Krochek, got called upon the Skeksis using a crystal shard when we arrived at the cave's grot. And that, you know, Tavra, you know, I think as I sort of briefly mentioned that, you know, she tried to stop it but just had no power um, over it. So, yeah, I mean, the spider was just basically controlling her the whole time. We sort of got into a bit, bit of detail about, yeah, you know, Kylan using this a spell called Dream Stitching for Tavra's mind to be in the spider and then as I thought about, you know, that she had a crystal shard and at first I was thinking, well, you know, oh, I wonder if this is the, you know, the piece of the shard from the dark crystal. But actually when we find out later on that they actually destroy the shard, the shard was probably, it was more of a communication sort of thing between the Skeksis and the, and, and the spider. But then I sort of wrote my notes and I'm like, oh, imagine if that was like the shard that, you know, <laughs> to, um, <laughs> Whoops. That, that would have made the movie quite different. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that that's the thing, whether, the, you know, the shards, I'm, uh, like, I would have to presume that they're not sort of connected to the Dark Crystal. They're probably just shards from, you know, the Castle of the Crystal. Because I know there's, yeah, because I know it was in Creation Myths, there was, like, this place that was just full of crystals that was all, like, reflect the reflection or s- room or something like that, I think, from Creation Myths. So they, they do have their uses with the shards, um, even if they're not, you know, sort of connected to, you know, to the dark crystal itself. And obviously, you know, sort of provides, you know, problems with Tabra being a spider now, because it's like, now that she's a spider, how can she prove, you know, who she is, <laughs> you know, that she was a gelfling. And this is sort of where we got this little piece of thing, uh, information that, you know, she mentions that they'll probably need to grab the, the pearl amulet, you know, from her, uh, cloak from you know her gelfling part <laughs> cloak um, as proof on her identity um, now that she's a spider so yeah yeah so that, that uh, I mean that's one of those things it's gonna be interesting to see what happens when when Tavra you know if they do arrive to Harar and they see her as a spider and you know hopefully the pearl amulet will be more than enough proof of who she is so yeah that's that's one thing I'm really curious whether they're really gonna believe her or not uh, so yeah, I mean, this is at this point where they they decide to to go through the tunnels um, north of uh, Domrak to to warn the Grotten t- tribe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else knows this. It does seem like Kylan was really enamored with Tavra. Um, there is a scene here where basically she's kind of touching his cheek and you know saying something. It's when he's about to dive in and go after his friends. And he actually is imagining her the way she looked when he first met her. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Cause I felt like there was kind of this, I don't even know if it's a love triangle. Cause it's hard to tell if Naya and him are actually, if there's like a love interest there or if they're just kind of buddies, it just kind of depends on the scene. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and her, you know, I could see them being a little bit mistrustful of her looking like a spider because um, one of the things that the spider said, or that 
I forget who says, and I think it was one of the spiders in one of the previous chapters mentioned um, how, you know, they could sing to them and, you know, basically control them in that aspect. So it would be hard for her to basically prove herself to be the same person because she would have to get up and talk to the person. And since her voice is so small, she'd have to get up right next to their ear. And that would probably be pretty hard if they couldn't convince her that Taver was who she said she was with some sort of personal trinket like that, um, that amulet. So I thought that was interesting too. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, one of those scenarios where I'm just so, yeah, I'm very curious how, you know, you know, whether they, you know, the, the, the old Moja, um, in her, will, you know, believe in her story or, or not. So that, that's one of those, just one of those things. Yeah, so they were going to go to, to warn the Groton tribe. I mean, you know, they did mention that they could have head to Hurrah, but they just feared it just wasn't, you know, worth heading there because we're a cry check and, you know, telling the Skeksis of what they've been up to that they probably already know that they're sort of heading to Hurrah. That is, might as well, you know, you know, warn the Groton tribe. And, yeah, I mean, it was kind of cool that, you know, yeah, it was mentioned that the Crystal Spiders, they're, um, they're an ancient race, as they're sort of, you know, deeply connected to, I think, the heart of Thra, as it was mentioned. Which which raises a question for me in that, um, you know, even when I, even when I thought Tavra was possessed, I thought it was through, like, a device or an inanimate object that was being controlled by the Skeksis, but the fact that the spiders are intelligent makes me wonder... What other creatures are intelligent? Because we see crystal bats in the movie. And, you know, my impression from the movie had always been that those are basically like biological drones that the Skeksis command and control. But I'm starting to wonder now if maybe those guys are also, you know, also this very intelligent race of beings who just liked serving the Skeksis. I... I thought about that too because um, I thought the aspect of the crystal bats was really interesting. I mean, that is the symbol of the Groton clan. And even though they don't, uh, as he put it, you know, they don't keep them as familiars because bats poop a lot, it's one of those things where it's like, at the same time, later in the movie, you know that they, the Skeksis have taken control. But I think what I gathered from the movie, it looked almost as though the crystal was inside of the mouth, like this round crystal thing where they could watch them. You know, um, in the movie, it looked like they were spying using the crystal bats and they had this round crystal in their mouth. And it was one of those things where I was wondering, were they carrying the crystal or was that was some sort of messed up experiment where somehow they infused them with the crystal and made them into their spies and it does make you wonder how intelligent were the crystal bats and were the crystal bats something that might have been an enemy of the spiders because to, to have that as their clan symbol and we know that the Groton clan drove out the spiders at one point and bats do eat bugs and things of that nature it made me wonder about that I wish he had expanded on that just a little bit because I thought it was interesting like that, that's a pretty cool thought um you know sort of yeah there was some right you know a bit of a rivalry um between the spiders and 
and this and the bats. But yeah, that, that's one thing I'd be curious about. How you, like the crystal bats, they once belonged to the Groton clan and somehow ended up with the Skeksis. Yeah, and and whether like you mentioned with, with that um with the uh, the crystal sort of shard in their mouths, like whether that was something they were born with or whether it was something that, you know, probably, you know, that Skektek could have experimented with and, you know, put them inside them. And But yeah, I just I just found it interesting that, yeah, like they're an ancient race, the crystal spiders. And that's what um, uh, Krochik uh, was as well. So it made me think, you know, that they've probably been around even before the Galfling existed as you know as they are sort of close to the heart of thra i think uh, i think as mentioned later on and so uh, i think amory he mentions about the singing mountains and um that there's a mountain where the bellbirds used to you know reside or used to live but of course you know they're now extinct that they thought that he thought you know maybe there's a possibility that they could just you know even though they don't have the you know they don't have the furka but they know that it was made you know by a bellbird using the bellbird to to make the furka and thought about the possibility of recreating the furka through that. So, of course, um, you know, they then go to the Tide Pass to uh, to make their way to the sanctuary, uh, again, as described as an, an ancient place. And, of course, um, you know, this is sort of becomes a bit of trouble for them. I, I guess, you know, as a sort of bit of concern for Kylan, as I think they sort of had to go underwater in this sort of underground river of sorts that there was sort of you know that everyone sort of had concerns for kylan with this part of uh the journey and i was, and I was trying to think like you know because i know in the, it, it was written as sort of they that he had the most fear for the part of the journey but i was just trying to think whether kylan if he's just never swam before or i was trying to yeah figure out like what exactly yeah I would imagine he uh, probably didn't swim much because if, you know, the Spritons were the Plains people and, I mean, he may have swam before, but, you know, he can't, he did I think the idea was he just didn't have the advantages that the others did. Emery could see in the dark so he could see his way. You know, Naya had gills and um, even the spider could probably survive just by skirting along the surface. The only one there who just didn't have an advantage was Kylan. And I would imagine, I mean, just the thought of being, he was already talking about how claustrophobic he was when he was just going through the tunnels. And that was before he had the risk of drowning with it. So I, I like the way he described this chapter, uh, you know, when he was venturing in and everything, because of the way he just, you know, he describes it so well, claustrophobia, not being able to see, not being able to breathe in some areas. And it's just like, and, you know, the whole thing of him going after his friends would be that he risked his life because he may not be, he might drown, which is, I've always thought that's a, terrible way to go anyway so it's it's a very real danger for him especially with no one guiding him so and he couldn't half the time it felt like he couldn't even tell that there were other people there because he couldn't hear and he couldn't see yeah and he only and yeah and colin only had tavra that i think tavra would occasionally like you know tap on him or you know if he's 
you know, going the wrong way or, you know, to turn this way or that way. Um, yeah. 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 I think one, one issue with what you said in the, um, I mean, I don't think I, I, I agree with the idea that Kylan doesn't have a physical superpower or skill like the others, but he is the intellectual of the group. So he has a power. He is contributing something. I just wanted to, you know, so not, so I wouldn't diminish him that much. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't mean to diminish him. I think he does oh, oh, no. have it. Yeah. It's that. just one of those things where it's like, and he, yeah, when you're in an action situation, you're not, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's not his forte. One of the things I thought that was really interesting about this is he seems to actually be gaining a lot of self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that throughout the first book, he didn't seem very confident. And the second book, he's starting to really, he he does want to kind of, it's kind of funny because it seems like he's always wanting to be the main character and he is the main character of the second book. So it's like... He, he's like, well, this is the part in the story where I have nothing to contribute. And I'm like, it's, it's just kind of funny. He is the main character. It's like, well, you, you are contributing clearly because we're seeing everything from your point of view. <laughs> you know. But I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, being the intellectual of the group has actually saved them on several occasions, but this is not his forte, and it puts him in a situation where he definitely is the underdog here and has to rely on the group, which his trust in the group is something also that's very telling, that even though he could have stayed outside, he didn't have to go, and they kind of were insinuating that, yeah, you, you, you don't really have to go, you know... We, we need you to be the one to sing the song. So if we, you know, if we can succeed and bring this, they never said if we bring this back out, you could do it and that sort of thing. But I got the feeling they were kind of trying to say, look, you can stay here if you want. And he was the one in the end who said, well, let's go. <laughs> so I thought that was good too. Showed him to be gaining that confidence that he needed. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To, um, to continue on with the, with the journey. So yeah, now so we're up to chapter twenty four, and of course, um, you know, as part of this journey, they sort of had to. I think they still. That's the other thing because when they were going through the water, uh, I think they had to sort of leave their belongings behind. But I'm not too sure if um if they had to leave the pearl, um, amulet with them, for example, because I know that was sort of you know part of the proof, you know, to um, uh, to prove. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, they. Uh, they did re- leave that. Yeah, I guess you know, presuming that they would come back, you know, once they were done to warn the Grotten, uh, that they would come back and you know grab their things to continue on. But yeah, I just thought that was sort of a bit bit of a risky move because it's like you know what if it, you know <laughs> if it gets lost or you know gets stolen or whatnot. That was sort of one of my little things. So I sort of yeah, I was I was curious about that that yeah, and of course you know they they do eventually arrive at the Tide Pass. They take their time to to get there. And they, they had to swim under and, you know, of course, you know, you know, have very little gaps to breathe. So, of course, you know, Naya and Amory, they go ahead to see if it's all good ahead for Kylan. And and actually, I mean, again, this was a chapter that I think I ch- I mentioned this before, that we got an understanding of the spiders being ancient and deeply connected to Thra. More more connected than the Gelflings. I mean, that was a thing, whether they're more connected. Uh, I think that was sort of a question, I think, whether they're more connected than the Galflings, or probably just as equally, since they'd be described as sort of, yeah, close to the heart of Thra. Well, it's 
it says they're ancient, and it did make me wonder if they were as ancient as the bellbirds. But um, at the same time, Algra did lift them up. So it's one of those things where I think that they were a lot more equal than the spiders would like to admit because of the fact that, you know, they were one of Algra's favorite, they were Algra's favorite race. They, I think, I think that the spiders were older and thus very connected, but at the same time, I think that the Gelfling were actually um, kind of on par with them. And I think they resent that because cle clearly they were because the Grottens kicked them out of the cave. So if they were this ancient race that was more connected to Thra, you'd think they would have won that battle, but they didn't. And I think that they've resented it ever since from the sound of things. And it's almost like the Skeksis are trying to lift them up again. And um, I thought that was kind of an interesting parallel, that the Skeksis are favoring the spiders. Augur always favored the Gelfling. And the Gelfling won the first battle, but the second battle it feels like they've pretty much lost. And, and so, I mean, you know, with this journey I, I, with um, Naya and Amri when they went ahead and and then they find out, you know, they sort of work out that they actually have gone missing. So Kylan and Tavra, you know, he, the, he's sort of waiting for a while and find out, you know, he sort of has an inkling that sort of something's happened to them. So um, he decides just to, you know, just to keep going forward. Um, take the risk to um so they reach they reach the tunnel and and however they they do come uh approach uh Skeksis, um who we find out that it is a uh, skekli the satirist of course sort of like you know an entertainer jester or i think as he sort of describes himself later on as a clown of sorts and we sort of got the reveal that sort of that was the Skeksis that was uh communicating with with Krychek who Skekli was giving orders to the spider about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, again, this is cool, you know, that we get to, you know, get introduced to new Skeksis and, you know, within this book. And, um, yeah, it's just pretty cool just to get, you know, like a different sort of personality, you know, sort of an entertainer, sort of a, a clown sort of um, with this character. And, yeah, I mean, and then he sort of mentions that he has Naya and Amri and, and Mordra Olgart. Uh, at the sanctuary and of course at this point you know he sort of Skekli has spotted Kylan and of course Skekli is sort of just thinking that that he's uh, Krychek or that Krychek has took over um, his body so I think when Kylan sort of got wind of this um, that I think he sort of you know decides to sort of you know to, to play along with the game uh, to pretend that that he's the spider and the spider creature and uh yeah oh yeah yeah it was it was a good plan that kind of worked and um and got up to the point where yeah skeksy uh yeah basically believes that that is the case and then yeah and then you know skeksy sort of leads uh kylan uh along with tavra to the uh sanctuary i have a, i do have a question if anyone else thought about this uh, there's a big description of rings on his fingers that are attached to chains and like um, this, you know, chains like attached to his ornamentation. And I'm wondering if like those rings or some of his um, some of his jewelry or something might have been a way he was communicating with some spiders or even 
the Crystal Orb staff might have been why he how he was communicating with other Skeksis. So I, it doesn't say anything about that, but the long description of it, it could have been just a really cool description of um, the ornamentation he was wearing because they are very decadent, the Skeksis. And in that way, it seemed very decadent. But at the same time, I felt like the way they were connected, I was like, I wonder if this is how he was always communicating with the spider and with other lackeys of his anyway. So I thought that was interesting, too. I took it more as elaboration, especially since this is a jester character, just kind of the adding to the, the buffoonery or the you know, the outlandishness. I mean, I kind of... It was kind of reminded me. I'm forgetting the name of the Skeksis, but uh, the Gorm, the Gormand, you know, the 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 fat one who eats a lot. You know how how he how he has like very flowery dress and very fancy dress, and I I just took it more. So I took it more as like uh, the world building or character building. Then, uh, but no, it, it could could well be that there's something more. The chain sort of thing kind of reminded me of like a string, like puppets on strings type things. And we do know that he does use puppets in his uh, satires that he basically shows to the, um, you know, his entertainment that he shows to the other Skeksis. So I thought that was kind of interesting too, like things were tied together. And it might, I might just be reading symbolism into it that's not there. I just feel like that kind of draws kind of painted that image in my mind and i think with that we'll probably um wrap up for um this episode of the gathering songs and i I think it's probably good probably a good chapter to to end on and i'm sure like you know we'll have another discussion um later on i think as we sort of get towards the end game of um with song of the dark crystal uh so which is very exciting yeah can't wait to to get back into it again um so i just want to say uh uh nadi uh uh, Dom, uh, thank you so much for being on the show, um, as well as yourself, Nancy. And also, uh, I guess, you know, before we wrap up, well, we are sort of wrapping up. Um, uh, Dom, I'd, I'd like to know uh, how can um, any of the listeners can find out more about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, you can follow me at Nardi Views on Twitter, uh, N-A-R-D-I Views, or um, I have a blog, a WordPress blog with uh, Nardi Views, just search for in Google, and I... Right now, I'm going through all of the all of the Dune books, um, posting short reviews, and um, that's in preparation for a paper I'm presenting at Mythmoot in the Washington D.C. area later this summer about the politics in Dune. Cool, excellent. Um, and, and and Nancy, just want to say thank you again for being on the show. And um, and how can people find out more about um your work, um, especially with your books that you've been uh writing um at the moment? Yeah. Well, uh, my website is nancygray.net. The best place to look on that sort of thing is my blog spot, my blog, which is nancygray.blogspot.com. And my Facebook name is writer Nancy Gray. Um, Those are typically the best ways to contact me. And right now I'm looking towards publishing a a new work, which is mid-grade horror, and it is called Spine Chillers Scarecrow. It should be coming out in towards the middle or end of September. Um, I also have my fantasy series, my young adult fantasy series, which is Blood Rain, and it's a trilogy, and it's all out if anyone wants to check it out. Cool, excellent. I'll put all those on the show notes. So again, yeah, thank you so much. And, thank you. Um, yeah, we'll, and, yeah, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Gathering Songs. 
right. Well, thank, thank you very you. much for having me. You've already <laughs> taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal If you'd like to contact the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. To find us on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're also on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. You can tweet at us at darkcrystalpod. Also, if you get a chance to review the show, whether on iTunes or Facebook, that'd be fantastic as well as that'll boost the rankings. Thank you all so much and come back next month for more The Gathering Songs. to the only Blade Runner podcast in existence. From in-depth discussions about characters to interviews with actors and filmmakers involved in the process, Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, covers a multitude of topics spanning both Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049.